0: You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I was listening to a presentation by Father Paul, and he was explaining the term shepherd versus shepherd of flock and talking about the lilies of the field. And he made this point about the oddity of Moses's position relative to Aaron, despite his speech impediment. So I asked Father Paul if he would say something about that example, but then obviously go into a discussion about shepherd and shepherd of flock.
1: Let me begin with the first point. These are two different points, but definitely in Scripture and the story interrelated. The first one, which is important due to the fact that it reflects the overall theory or thesis or proposition or view of the authors, namely that their heroes are anti-heroes on purpose, as I discussed in detail in my book. In order to emasculate completely the opponent, they had also to belittle completely themselves. They didn't want that the solution for being taken over by the followers of Alexander to hope that they could dislodge them and take their place it was an impossibility so the solution was to appeal to a superhero which is obviously concocted in the bible the scriptural god who controls everything and here you can see it in the story of moses that he controls from a to z the scene everybody else is just a muppet on the scene thus they had to pay the price this is reflected throughout the bible all the main actors whether part of israel or not part of israel meaning people from the nations, leaders of the nations, they are ridiculed. Let me go quickly before arriving to Moses. Obviously, Moses is the top man. Besides Joseph, he is really the top man. He gave his name to the first five books of the Bible, and he controls his law, at least controls the book of Joshua, way down to kings and then the prophets so i mean moses is the man of god the giver of the law but before that just to make the point i mean the hearers have to digest this they have to force themselves to digest this the way they have to accept the diet the doctor suggests to them it's important let me go quickly take adam Very quickly, he's ridiculed. Eve, very quickly, she's ridiculed. Cain, you expect that he is the successor of Adam. There were only two brothers and Abel was eliminated completely on the side. And Cain built a city. He was the first one who started civilization. And yet, he doesn't have a genealogy. He doesn't have a Toledot. And he's totally eliminated from the Toledot of Adam in chapter 5. It is remarkable. And then you have the descendants of Adam, beginning with Adam himself, living so many years a la list of kings. In other words, they were the representatives of humanity many, 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 many years. And then suddenly the most saintly, the perfect among them, Enoch, lives a shorter life compared to the others. And then in chapter six, the punishment of God begins by trying to control the length of life of the human being, the human beings. And then he threatens them with a flood then noah this my hearers heard so many times from me he was the man for the sake of whom god decided not to destroy humanity and all life on earth and yet at the end he plants a vineyard and he settles he becomes like cain and something goes wrong he introduces the curse really by then the hearer has gotten the message the hope begins with shem who is very clearly a shepherd since all his descendants, as we discussed at another time, and I discuss in detail in the book, were shepherds. In other words, anti-building, anti-civilization, anti-greatness. Later, we all know that to express his greatness, Solomon went into building, although at the beginning he said to God, thank you very much for having given me wisdom. But then, you know, into buildings. So, that is clearly the message of the Bible and then you have anyway a culmination in the story of Abram and his wife Sarai who was barren notice how although Abram was the eldest it's his brother who had a son Lot so if you start listening to the story without knowing its end you expect that unfortunately it is through the brother who has a son that things will continue. But then scripture comes with a twist with the promise to Abram through his barren wife. It's amazing. And we know the rest of the story. They both tried to have a son through the maid and so on, but God said, no, that's not my plan. So the attentive hearer, submitting listener if i may say so is prepared to be slapped in the face with the story of the superman if we may say moses the representative of god his voice his prophet that number one he did not come from Palestine as Abraham and the fathers at the time when all the fathers and the children were in Egypt he appears suddenly in the wilderness of Midian and to prepare for the other point he was the texts present him at the beginning he was shepherding in Hebrew shepherd and shepherding is the same word the flock of his father-in-law and he marries into an outsider society meaning that it is outside palestine and outside egypt and the kingdoms totally in the desert the wilderness of midian number two first of all he was not accepted by his peers we all know the story but way back you know he was salvaged by an egyptian princess in other words he became a member of the house of pharaoh pharaoh who is the one who was subjecting his peers so it's a personality That is not a clean hero for the people, remember the reaction of the two Hebrews that were fighting with one another. They reminded him that the day before he did not behave correctly, rightly, and yet he was the person that God chose. Later, we shall hear that God does not need a king. He can raise anyone, whether of his liking or not liking, is immaterial of his choice. And then we have the series of prophets beginning with Samuel. But going to Moses himself, he has a brother who is an important personality number one he is older than moses and that is also a trait of scripture where more often than not it is not the firstborn that is chosen beginning with the story of ishmael and isaac so he's number two not number one And secondly, as you mentioned at the beginning, Father Mark, there is a word in Hebrew, however you translate it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that he was not good with words. He was not eloquent, whether he stuttered or not, it's immaterial. But the text purposely underscores that factor. Now, it is important in the case of Moses, because he is the one who declares with his mouth the law okay he's the one who reads aloud he had to write it and then he had to read it aloud instead of god to the people so the hearer is a little bit lost how could you do a movie out of that and yet he is the one that is chosen and then the culmination comes again at the end when toward the end of the story the hearer in spite of all those aspects of anti-hero in the person of moses somehow moses settles as the man who chooses joshua and caleb and so on and then repeats his last words to the people the second generation that had not heard the first declaration of the law in exodus this second generation had to hear it before her entrance into the land of the promise. Lo and behold, Moses is punished because at one point he was not totally obedient. I mean, it's not that he was not obedient, but he vacillated a little bit in accepting to strike the rock to get water out of it for the people. Again, water is very important in the wilderness. And just imagine that this person that was built as a hero from anti-hero. He became a hero in the mind of the hearer. And that's the most impressive aspect of the story of Moses as a representative of the total thesis of the writers. It's not someone who was great right from the beginning, or it's not someone who became quickly great, like David or Solomon. But you needed a full story lengthy story spanning 3 books Exodus Leviticus Numbers so It is as though the director of the movie built up in your mind the person of the hero of the story. The author imposed that on you in spite of your reticence at the beginning. And lo and behold, at the end, you had a complete turn. In this sense, and from this perspective, Moses parallels Noah. But then, obviously, he's much more important in the story, at least quantitatively, the number of books that deal with him and refer to him. And suddenly, it's not that he died. The point is that he was leading the people to go into the land, and he is the only one that left Egypt. We're not talking about the second generation that was born in the desert, but only one from the generation that left Egypt that died at the end. No one of the early generation. People like to mention Joshua and Caleb, but I keep repeating that Joshua and Caleb appear for the first time in the book of Exodus. So you don't know whether they were born in Egypt or not, but technically in the text, they didn't go out of Egypt. So that's a really fantastic blow to the hearer. Let's recap. So the hearer begins by listening to Genesis 1 through 11, where we still have the nations and not Israel proper. And one after the other, we have anti Suddenly you have Abram special and the beginning of the scriptural Israel. Then the two major personalities in that part of the story of Israel are obviously Joseph and Moses. Joseph is a special issue. If you want, we can discuss it in another podcast. Very important personality. But then we have to remember that Joseph from the scriptural perspective is not as important as Moses in the sense that Moses is linked. He is the law giver. not the savior we have to be very careful it's joseph who is the savior of his people and also the savior of egypt that's why joseph could be in the mind of the author of second isaiah when he spoke about the servant in 53 and the kings bowing to him and so on but again we leave this on the side. Still, not only quantitatively, but also centrally, Moses is the law the way the law is Moses. You know how one refers to the five books, the Pentateuch as the law, or Moses, or the law of Moses. Then, as I said, the hearers realize that their heroes are at least, if not more, anti-heroes than the heroes or the main personalities of the nations just hearing the story one sees how my reading my thesis is correct that the authors from the beginning wanted to ultimately belittle themselves and their followers and let's go from another angle the writers, as I showed in the book, could not have been obviously shepherds, you know, to write. You have to be erudite and have the possibility to write and preserve your writing. So you have to have been in a major city or major cities and so on. Plus, you had to be an official writer, and the official writers are the priests of the temple. Let's take a shortcut and go to egypt because we have most of the ancient writings but it's the same thing in babylon in persia i mean in lebanon i grew up there until now you have on the mountains writings that you can see you know you don't have to go to a museum lebanon is a museum So you see writings in Assyrian, in Babylonian, in Persian, and then obviously Roman and Greek and Arabic, you know, all over the place, because the stone, as we have in the story of the law in the desert, he wrote on stone. It's not that the stones were carried only in the biblical story. But technically, the stones are those buildings on which you write because they remain and everybody can see them. Later, the paper and the parchment was developed. So again, one should be aware of these things to understand what's going on. The main stones were the temples. Again, Egypt is a very impressive example that you go around and see this it doesn't mean that it's not in Greeks and in other places. It is even in Northern Europe and so on. But Egypt is so well known. So you have the fact that it is the priests who are basically authors. And you have it later in the history of the story of Israel and the book of the prophets. And so. Now, why am I bringing up this point? Because Aaron, the older brother of of Moses is precisely presented as the high priest. And let me go on an aside, since one should handle the entire scripture. One can notice very quickly that Moses parallels or is presented on the basis of Jeremiah, and Aaron, if you like, is more the Ezekiel, but in the bible later and i stress this in my book this sequence is very important first we have jeremiah and then you have ezekiel and i said very clearly that ezekiel picks up an already written book in the area of the euphrates when the hearer had heard earlier that jeremiah wrote a letter that was thrown at the end of his book In the river Euphrates, there is a play on that, that Ezekiel picks up. And in the story of Moses and Aaron, we have an extremely forceful statement. God says to Moses, who told him that I can't speak well, the answer was, you don't have to worry. Aaron will do it for you, and let's listen carefully, you will be his God and he will be your prophet. Can you imagine? You will be his God, and he will be your prophet. So, the great Aaron, who is very important to the extent that for those who remember or who know well the Psalms, he is mentioned quite a few times in conjunction with Moses. Moses and Aaron together as the early leaders in the wilderness. But, remember, the priests are connected with the law. The Torah is the law, the law of God written on the stones of the temple. But the scripture twists that a little bit by presenting Aaron the high priest and his colleagues, the brothers, which mean the other priests, with him and after him, presenting to the people the law of Moses. Let's jump to the end of two kings where we read that suddenly in the rubble of the temple the people discovered the priests were part of the people who were allowed to go and check in the rubble and they discovered the book of the law of moses And only then they discovered that since the entrance to the land, they have not celebrated Pascha. This is unbelievable. I mean, you could see how the story is concocted. So when you hear the story of Moses, remember, the scripture is a book, it's a story. There is no Moses and Aaron. It is within these parameters that Moses is the ultimate anti-hero. But interestingly, in this conjunction, Aaron, who reflects the authors as priests, writers, controlling the writings, as being also themselves anti-heroes. Both Moses and Aaron, so very often in the crosswords, the hero of the people is referred to as an idol. Very interesting. So one should show the people how this trend continues up till now, 2017, in the TV shows. Okay, the idol, and the idol is technically perfect. I mean, uh, remember the great sculptures when they present a Greek god or goddess, David of Michelangelo and Moses of Michelangelo. You know, you don't like it if you have a blemish somehow, and yet... The Bible does not mean that it makes everybody look completely bad. But no one is perfect. And with this, we can jump to that famous text uh, where Jesus said to this young man, OK, let's not go down the road of perfection because <laughs> I don't want either you or even myself to be trapped in that. Only God is good. Only God is perfect everybody else is belittled and at this point i would end with the famous statement of paul in romans 3 that no one absolutely he uses the two expression he uses all have sinned and then no one
0: it's a powerful doubling in the more, as one would characterize them, narrative sections of scripture, especially the first five books, and even in Samuel and Kings, chock full of antiheroes. But when we get to the prophets, I'm thinking Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, and even some of the minor prophets other than Jonah, we get what seem to be less flawed characters like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, Jonah is an exception. He's definitely flawed. But why do you think Scripture makes Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah into less flawed characters as, say, Moses? Well, I would disagree with you on that. They are uh, uh,
1: less comparatively but i think they are also belittled very quickly let me go over the text isaiah is criticised in chapter six when suddenly he wanted to be more righteous or at least nicer than god when god decided to destroy everything remember it reminds you of genesis six and he said until when until when? He was hoping that somehow until the tenth of the people remain, which is the classic picture. And God tells him, no, until everything is destroyed and I'll leave only a stump. Well, let's recall the stump is not a proof of a new life can you imagine if you pay six hundred dollars to have people cut down two trees in your backyard, and then the stump after one year becomes another tree that's not the intention A stump is a sign, what remains. It's like the ashes, the piece of paper that remains, and with one letter on it, like the proof that the shepherd defended his lambs by presenting one leg of the whole lamb, which is nothing. So, very important to remember that. And this seed will not develop in the book of Isaiah. Until the third part of Isaiah, which scholars refer to as third Isaiah. So it's not the same Isaiah. Another one way later that we have the new life of this new stump. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it's much easier to show, you know, the excuse of Jeremiah. I'm still a youth. I cannot speak. And so on. that's why I believe that the two figures of Jeremiah and Moses are the same, you know. And God told him, don't worry about that whatever i put in your mouth he doesn't say whatever you say or you repeat that's a huge belittling the words that i put in your mouth you will have to say them to your people and to the nations, and to the kingdoms. And then Ezekiel is a very subtle curveball in baseball. It is as though you've heard me so many times on my tapes saying, it is as though by the time he got to Ezekiel, God remembered the difficulty he had with Isaiah and Jeremiah, and he said to himself, you know, I don't want to try it one more time, okay? I'm going to. Open the mouth of this man who began by looking humbly, by being flat and on his knees. You remember, rise. And he shoved down his mouth an already written book on both sides, which means it's beyond editing. It is like the book, when the last time Mark told me, well, uh, you know, Father Paul, it's the last run. I'm going to send it to the publisher. That's it. Well, we can cheat today with electronics by recorrecting two years down the road. <laughs> but in those times, it was not so.
0: The discussion of the antihero in Scripture is one that's worth revisiting over and over again, because people naturally look at literature they look for the protagonist and then they project themselves into the protagonist even when someone can comprehend the statement that these are anti-heroes it's still very difficult to digest in your stomach so to speak so i think it has to keep being emphasized i find it fascinating that they couldn't make that movie in the 60s without making moses handsome and articulate father park i mean look
1: also at the stories of the king of kings and jesus is always good looking and nice and perfect and so and rarely you will rarely i'm not saying at all but i mean compared to the main point of scripture rarely do you present jesus as being already simeon says this in the book of luke a scandal. I mean, you have a question mark. At the end of the movie, you have to make sure that we would see that he was indeed the Messiah. But in scripture, it is never so. This will be seen only at the end when he comes. But we like to make it. And here, let me take an aside because I criticized very openly and blatantly historical Christianism, Christianity. I mean, see what we did ourselves. Yes, we speak about the cross and the cross and the cross and the cross. But let's go to our tradition, the Orthodox tradition. On the cupola, you have the Pantocrator, which is a Byzantine emperor (laughs) controlling everything from above. And the cross is somewhere. So we re-correct In other words, we don't follow scripture where Paul speaks about the resurrection at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians after having spoken for 14 chapters about the cross because this is all you see for the time being and until that day. That's why, again, in my book on Mark, I see you don't have a mention of resurrection. Very important. We just cannot stand that. We need to express our hope, which is basically looking to the future. Whence the Lord is come, you know, our citizenship is in the heavens. Whence, okay, where from our Savior is coming. We just can't stand that. We have to say the last word ourselves or at least witness it with our eyes. We want to make the coming in the here and now. Again, as an aside, that's why I criticize mysticism, which is rampant among Christians. You know, it's like the here and now. I have a direct relationship with Jesus that speaks to me and I speak to him. That is our tendency and thus listening to the text time and again is of the essence because only it strikes us you will never hear scripture out of the mouth of the teacher of sunday school or the tele evangelist or even the homilist because at the end especially an orthodox would tell you having come and partaken from the chalice you are already in the kingdom and we have it in our texts but i do not think i personally am convinced that this is not what scripture is saying but we make it say and that's why books are very dangerous Unless (laughs) Unless <laughs> you're reading my book because it just bothers you from page one till the last page because I <laughs> try to integrate the whole view in every page of the book. But anyway, again, if you idolize it, that's very dangerous. It's what is written and how it is written. So again, the way you started, Father Martin, one should be careful not to take very seriously the epic of Cécile Bédémille But that should not be the last point. One should listen to the scriptural story as it is written. Otherwise, we fall in the trap of criticizing the enemy. And thus, we are not taking totally seriously the message of the Bible. With the criticism of the opponent, one has to criticize oneself. Everyone knows that giving birth is a hard experience. And men should not play games by saying to their wives, we were pregnant together and we gave birth together. Come on now. Let's be serious. But it ends. No mother can tell her children what Paul said to his addressees, Galatians. I'm still in travail until now. I mean, come on now. (laughs) Until Christ is formed among you. That is precisely what I do not hear in classic theology across the board. So it's not a lesson in anti-heroism. It's an invitation for the hearer to be the anti-hero, whether the hearer is Paul or Paul's addressees. Remember how Paul presents the gospel as being a gift to himself. He was granted to carry the gospel, which he granted unto others in the original Greek. That's what scripture is, it is what It is. It is definitely painful, and let's not rush to Holy Friday. I love the Orthodox. Already in his death, Jesus was the conqueror. You know, the service of matins that we celebrate on Friday night, and we say we're not like the Roman Catholics that bewail Christ. No, already we are with him in his death, and tomorrow we're rising. Come on now, for heaven's sake. I mean, just listen to the sermon of the Liturgy of Easter. You're still here, my dear friend, and you're still going to the priest while eating the lamb and telling him where were all those people who suddenly rushed to church on Sunday during Lent when only a few of us came to the services, and most of them even left after they lit their candles and did not stay until the end of the liturgy. Come on!
0: Anyway... Anyway, Father Paul, great discussion today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Mom. Thank you again, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. The Bible as Literature is a
1: production of the Ephesus School Network.